Hello, this is Mr. Galley from GCSE English Revision Pod with a quick message for you. If you want even more English Revision Pod in your ears, you can now subscribe to our premium service, GCSE English Revision Pod Plus, where for the price of just over £2 a month, on top of all the amazing free episodes, which will continue to be free and there for you to use, you can also get a selection of amazing bonus episodes on things like Macbeth, A Christmas Carol, Romeo and Juliet, and all your favourite topics covered in the depth and detail that you are used to. If you are interested in getting even more GCSE English Revision Pod, all you've got to do is click the link at the top of this episode description, where you can subscribe to GCSE. English Revision Pod Plus. Hello and welcome to English Revision Pod Episode 5, Power and Conflict. Fantastic, I'm excited. And I am hosting today. Mr. Forster's super excited. He's going to run things. I'm the man. And I'm going to actually try and say intelligent things, which is going to become something as a challenge, I think. So, uh, welcome. Um, As as per usual, um, you can download all of the notes uh, for this podcast in the bio of the episode. And if you're on Spotify, you might have to copy and paste it into your browser. Otherwise, on most other podcast apps, you can just click on the link. Absolutely, yes. It takes you straight to the handout. The handout, of course, will contain, as usual, our comparative thesis that we're working with. Lovely. Right, yeah. Uh, The three main arguments that we're going to make about the two poems and then the language the analysis and the contextual points that we would use to support those arguments happy happy days it sounds great doesn't it praise be we're, so um we're going to start miss could you introduce the question so the question we're going to be looking at this week is compare the way the poets present the abuse of power in london and one other poem from power and conflict so it's appropriate because today i'm abusing my power as host Absolutely, I can see you already going mad with that power. I'm oh, getting a bit gone to my head. Getting a bit frightened, but um, yes, absolutely. It's about. It's not just a power question. I mean, it's they they could ask you just about power, but it's also highly possible that they will ask for a sort of take on the power and conflict theme. Yep. So this week we've particularly gone for the idea of people abusing power, of people taking power and using it for their own benefit to the harm of others. Should we play? Did you fail? We could play Did You Fail? Yeah, so if you weren't listening last week, mm. uh, a fun game I like to play is uh, we mention a question and then we pl- then we mention poems and find out if we failed or not. Okay. So, for example, if we were to pick, say... You can tell Sarah's really prepared this article <laughs> as he rifles through his, uh, if we were his to anthology. Pick, uh, bayonet charge, you'd have a pretty tough time getting that onto abuse of power. You yeah. might be able to argue the military authority that abused it, but I think it'd be very, very difficult to get the mark. Incredibly difficult to make that one work. If Any talk, others that you're thinking about work? poppies, oh, I think you failed on that. I don't, yeah, I can't see the abuse of power there. And you've, you've failed before you started. You failed before you started. So what are we thinking, Mr. Galley? Save us. Well, I think there's a, there's an obvious choice here, actually, for this one, and I think it has to be My Last Duchess. Yeah, would you, the reason I think that I see all of myself in that man. <laughs> the reason I think that is um, because we've got two different, very different types of abuses of power. Right in London, what we see is a section of society abusing their power. We see how the poor are being abused, but they're not being abused by one person in particular. They're being abused by the ruling classes. And this contrasts quite nicely with My Last Duchess because in My Last Duchess, what you get is 
indeed an abuse of power, but this time it's an abuse of power against an individual. Well, and in the dis- domestic space. Exactly. This is, a, this is the patriarchal abuse of power of a man over his wife. Over his wife, rather than the public space in London where it's the abuse of the rich. Uh, it's the abuse of the poor by the rich. Sorry. Uh, in this way, I've said in my comparative thesis, both poems paint an awfully bleak picture where it seems fairly common for power to be wielded in a cruel and exploitative manner. Much like in our podcast. <laughs> so, absolutely. I'm, I'm very much the powerless in this, in this new role, I feel. But we, will, we can press on we can into, press our, on. into so, our first paragraph. Um, Let's see, talk me through, where do you want to start with this comparison? What's the, the starting point you want us to, to go with? Well, I'm thinking that both London and My Last Duchess, so I'm going with a comparative paragraph first time around, uh, both London and My Last Duchess explore how power can be used in a way that's very cruel. So it's not a very complex topic sentence. I, have, I haven't gone massively wordy with it, because actually I think you can take this relatively simple idea of the cruelty of power and then you can analyse it in some quite interesting ways. Yeah, it's all about the AO2. Yeah, absolutely. And where I would start them off is, if you're looking towards My Last Duchess, there's this line that the Duke of Ferrara says. Um, oh, we should give an overview of the two poems. Really, yeah, I mean, we? The My Last Duchess is a dramatic monologue um, written by Robert Browning. And what that means is he is exploring a character's point of view. It's a first-person poem. And we're in the head of the Duke of Ferrara. And the historical figure of the Duke of Ferrara, there are some rumours, there's some suggestions mm. that he murdered uh, one of his wives. Yes. There's no historical proof for it, but there, certainly it's, it is common. There's, 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 there's a popular conception. To Was that he happened. not only murdered his wives, but got away with doing yeah. it because of his uh, position in society. So now... London, by way of contrast, is a poem by William Blake in which Blake wrote a lot of poems about nature, didn't he, which he called his Songs of Innocence. Blake was very uh, very much in love with nature and the sort of natural world and he saw the human imagination as this great source of freedom. And um, by way of contrast, he also wrote these poems that he called Songs of Experience. And in such poems, he explores how... A more cynical view yeah, of the world. Yeah, corruption, you know. And in London, he shows how the city has corrupted both the natural world and also the humans who are forced to live within yeah. it. I mean, Blake was completely mad, but we won't get into that now. Like him and his wife used to pretend to be Adam and Eve naked in their garden mm. in central London. But one important point I think we do need to know that you might want to mention in your essays is that unlike many poets of the Romantic period, which is the period he's writing at, right at mm. the beginning, that ends in Wordsworth that we looked at last week, Mm-hmm. He was a working class poet. Yeah. He was a full time engraver and an illustrator, and he was actually invo- involved in the physical production of books. Yeah. So unlike most poets, he there. It, is it surprising, therefore, this is a poem engaging with the class divide, with he, inequality? He had deep-rooted sympathies towards those in the lower classes. Let's start with My Last Touches, then. Let's go back okay. to that point you were making. So we're making this point about the cruelty of power in both poems, and I would like to start with the idea that Ferrara says, I gave commands, then all smiles stopped together. And I think what you've got here is a really euphemistic description of death, isn't it? This idea that all smiles stopped. He doesn't say directly that he killed her. He says it in a very euphemistic way. What is a euphemism, Mr. Galling? It's when you say something in a way that's nicer than the reality of it. It's like when I'm at parenting and I say, perhaps your son could have worked harder. Yeah. What I really mean is he's lazy. It's a euphemistic way of saying You're a lazy lazy toad. Right, absolutely. (laughs) That's a a classic example. Um, And saying all smiles stopped is of course a way of saying she died but it's quite a nice poetic way of saying it but from the from the fact that he just says he gave commands it makes it seem like it was so easy for him you know and he almost 
feels justified in this intense cruelty, ending this person's life. And also, you notice, he didn't have to do it himself. He didn't have to do mm. his own dirty work. He was able to get others to do it so, for him. It's a great example of the abuse of power. We see this is where money, position, responsibility um, gives you the, this power. And allows you to be cruel and get away with it. Yeah. And I think there's further exploitation of his position when he talks about why he killed his wife because he killed her for the most trivial of reasons she she sounds quite nice in the poem she just sounds like she was nice to everyone she was polite mm. she accepted presents really graciously she did all of these things that a nice person would have done but he saw that in a very different way and one thing that he particularly hated was that she ranked his gift of a 900 year old name with anybody's gift there's this idea that how dare she, that's the way mm. Ferrara sees it, how dare she consider his gift yeah. of this old name that of his family with anybody else's gift. He wants to be better. He wants to be better than everything else. And I think particularly zoom in on that word gift, because what does that word gift tell you about the way he saw the relationship? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, it highlights the power dynamic of the relationship, that he is the one giving it. It overlooks any qualities that she brings. It implies yeah. that he is the provider. He is the one... Um, you know, giving things to her oh yeah so lucky to have me he seems to be saying yeah. you know we see this also in, in, in when he says afterwards about who'd stoop to blame this sort of trifling right he said he could have talked to her about it he suggests in the poem that one solution would have been to talk to her about it but, but he, he concludes and says I choose never to stoop exactly the cruelty of the man is shown for the fact that he would rather kill her then have a conversation with her about it and yeah. slightly embarrass himself. It's showing that he doesn't like to stoop. It massively has shown that, absolutely. <laughs> um, the verb stoop, let's talk about the connotations of that word. Okay. Well, okay, so the, the verb stoop is kind of like to bow, kind of like to lower oneself. But in this context, what's the particular suggestion here? It's the, the idea of not lowering himself. It, absolutely. He refuses to go down to what he perceives as, the, as her inferior level. Exactly. Why should he bring himself down? You know, this is the way he sees it. When he could just simply kill her, why should he have to take any kind of... Um, why should he kind of have to take any step down to make this situation better? Well, I understand how he's feeling as a, you know, as a newly married man, must understand. <laughs> it's, it's really a, a poem that's easy to relate to. No, no, <laughs> that's uh, absolutely not true. But so, let's compare it with London. Um, yeah. What's the point of comparison here? Well, I'm thinking straight away you get the sense of this widespread suffering in London. And the way that Blake shows this is he says, in every face he meets, marks of weakness, marks of woe. So you've got this repetition of the word marks. And of course, the connotations of marks are that something's difficult to get off. So it could be a stain, it could be a scar, it could be a burn, perhaps. But the thing that marks have in common is they're kind of permanent, mm. right? You can't get rid of them. And the fact that these are shown in every face is interesting because it says, A, that the suffering is really widespread, and B people have been deeply affected by this suffering they can't escape it they are permanently marked by the suffering and that shows i think the deep cruelty of those who inflict this suffering they don't care how widespread it is they don't care how badly it affects people and then you've got this nice alliteration of weakness and woe so it's the the idea that the city is inflicting on people both sort of sadness but also taking their physical mm. strength away it's a bit hard it's the, this inequality that Blake has seen in yeah. in, in his contemporary society that, that actually the, the poor have been physically marked by, by what they've by, by what's happened to them yeah absolutely and I think you know it's draining the life out of them you see a city full of people who are being drained of their strength drained of their life so the comparison here with My Last Duchess is, it seems quite obvious isn't it mm. 
we've got in, on the one hand um, an individual who's who who literally drains the life away from his wife. He's yeah. out of his jealousy um, that she doesn't perhaps re- you know recognise the, the his true worth mm-hmm. um, as a, as a nobleman. Um, he he kills her. Yeah. But Blake, the parallel with Blake is that that every you know like, you know sounds to an every cry of every man and every infant's cry of fear. So unlike the the single woman who's the victim of this abuse of power in Manas Duchess, what we see instead is the cruelty towards every this widespread member. suffering. Everyone is suffering. Yeah, I think that's a great way of of tying it all together. Now, for my second paragraph, I thought a nice way to take it might be again another another similarity. Um, but this time I'm saying that both poems present a cycle of power that it seems will never end. Both poems suggest something about power and the abuse of power that suggests that this is not a one-off occasion. This yeah, is something I'm, that I'm can just saying. Again. I'm, I'm loving hosting this podcast. Let's good luck getting it back, Mister. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you're having fun. It's easier, isn't it? Yeah, much easier. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm getting exhausted already. <laughs> but anyway, in my last touches, you could uh, you could talk about. First of all, the ambiguity in the title. Remember that brilliant word ambiguity, which means that something could mean more than one thing. And it's the ambiguity of the word last, yeah, which is interesting. A, I think it's just, it could suggest that, you know, um, it implies, to me, it implies a succession of, yeah. of wives, doesn't it? So it could mean the final one, but it could also mean the one before this one. Yeah. And if it means the one before this one, it might suggest he's going to do this to a string of duchesses. Yeah, and, and this is kind of tied in structurally in the poem, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, it's the way he's... The, the poem's quite complex, in a sense, because you've really got to get your head around the fact that he is showing a man round his house who works for the father of his next potential wife Mm. (laughs) it's a few degrees of separation and yet even though he's showing someone who you know he's showing someone round who's connected to someone he might marry he in no way tries to hide the fact that he killed his last wife yeah and i think what's also quite interesting is is that he's he also doesn't try to hide what he's reduced her to he's reduced her to an object yeah. that he can control and i think the the cyclical nature is perhaps best shown when you read the poem as a whole and right at the end mm. he moves on from showing the servant the picture of his dead wife to showing a statue of Neptune. Here's just that. Oh, look at and this is a, another thing that I have in yeah, my yeah. wealthy got, house. I've got some it? nice things in my house. Here's a statue. Here's yeah. a plate. There's my wife that I killed. Here's another thing. It's just all part of uh, this, you know, this, this, this objectification of the world around him. This reduction of things to to objects that he can own and control. Absolutely. That's how he. That's how he does things, and it really creates this sense that nothing's going to happen to him there's going to be no repercussions no one's going to arrest him he's not going to get into trouble for this and if he chooses he's free to do it again it seems as, as, as a, as a, no we're not going to do that it's a dark place to go I make okay. no more comparisons with our own lives <laughs> in, 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 no you definitely shouldn't this is, why, this is why you shouldn't be allowed to host now in London I think you can take it in a, in a different direction when you say that there's a real strong image that takes us kind of through life and what i mean by that is if you look at the uh if you look at the line where blake says the youthful harlot's curse blasts the newborn infant's tear and blights with plagues the marriage hearse that's a really miserable image where you've got a young prostitute crying out um a newborn infant sorry a young prostitute swearing uh, a newborn infant crying, and while all of this is going, you've got the words marriage and hearse. Yeah, by as a, well. it's a really interesting juxtaposition there of the marriage of, the, of marriage hurts. Uh, yeah, 
Talk. I mean, uh, before we get into that, I'll come to that juxtaposition, but before we get into that, what you get in that image is three elements of life, right? You've got birth, you've got marriage, and you've got death. And I think through Blake placing these three elements closely together, birth, marriage, and death, what you get is the kind of it's that's life right that's mm. that's life laid out right there and i think in that line we can therefore infer by blake's use of these three key life events that this misery will go on for our whole lives and it will taint everything even the most joyous things like a wedding will be tainted mm. by this terrible thing and that kind of leads on to the juxtaposition right yeah because there's a juxtaposition between uh, like a marriage hearse it's such a, a worrying notion isn't it yeah the hearse that normally takes you to, to, to your death. funeral. Yeah. So it's, it's implying that actually, you know, the, the, the poor are condemned to death from the moment of, yeah. of, of marriage, from the moment perhaps even of birth. There's no escape here. And equally, and, sorry. And we, I was going to say, we see the abuse of power in the previous stanza, in the, in the imagery, the, the blackening church, the, the blood that runs down palace walls. Absolutely. There's a suggestion of where this, this plague, this metaphorical plague, this metaphorical and indeed literal because it's presumably drawing upon the squalid conditions in which the poor lived, mm. but also is a metaphor for the you know the plague of inequality, the plague of the abuse of the poor by the rich. Right. It, it, it's, it's, the suggestion is that it's genesis, it, where its root is, comes from the palace walls, from the blackening churches, from the, the very institutions that are supposed to govern and give, give purpose to society. Yeah, they're the ones that end up hurting them. And then you've got this metaphor of the mind-forged manacles, of course, which again suggests that you're in a prison, not manacles being chains that then go around your wrists, but the prison that you're in is not a, a physical prison with walls and iron bars, it's the prison of your mind, which for Blake was worse than perhaps a physical prison. He saw the, he saw the imprisoning of the human imagination as this terrible, terrible thing. And I think really, if we bring all of that together, what we've got is a sense that in London, we've got this situation that's not going to change the poor yep. are going to die into this terrible situation they're going to suffer they're going to die and then more people will suffer in the same way similarly ferrara has done this terrible thing but there are no consequences coming mm. there's nothing that means he needs to change his ways i think perhaps the one element of difference we could end this power if we want something a bit more positive is that mm. the suggestion that these manacles are mind forged also implies that they can be unforged yeah that if if the if the if we are imprisoned by our conception of class that's formed in our mind then perhaps the message of this poem is that actually we can react against these constraints, this abuse of power, and we can bring about meaningful social change. And let's think when he's writing. He's writing only you know, half a century after um, the, the French Revolution. You know, mm. uh, he's, he's writing actually after when, when there has been evidence across Europe of these kind of meaningful societal changes, right. albeit that descended into the horror, which wasn't perfect. No, <laughs> no. I mean, that's a, that's a history podcast. But that's a history another, podcast so for so another day. Why don't you go on again and start your own history Maybe podcast? I will. With this <laughs> abuse of power, yeah, and I think let's let's get into the third paragraph then before yeah. uh, before you go. Yeah. You go I mean, this is a great or... example, actually. I, I quite like what you've done here because actually, when you're making comparisons, you don't always have to compare ideas. Mm. You can compare actually um, a structural or a or, or a language or a use of language point, and that's what I've gone for here is the idea that structurally speaking, my last statue seems to show a power that's almost gone mad. A power that's become sort of at one with insanity. Whereas in London, through the structure of the poem, you see a very regimented and organised, deliberate form of power. So what I mean by that is in London, you've got symmetrical stanzas, you've got a rhyme scheme that all basically stays in the same structure throughout the whole poem. Four stanzas, four lines in each stanza, and the same rhyme scheme in each 
And a really sophisticated thing you can do is link that structure analysis to the language because this is mirrored in the metaphors. Yeah. I wander through each chartered street near where the chartered tempters flow. Everything in this city is controlled, just like the meter and the rhymes themselves are controlled. It's, mm. a, it's a poem about control, a poem about manacles, a poem about about the constraints imposed by those in positions of power. And I think the point you want to make is that actually the words of the poem are trapped in this symmetrical regimented form much like the people of London the people of London are doomed never to escape this poverty and this difficult life in the same way that the words of the poem cannot break out alright like that how are you going to compare that with Miles Duchess then well I would say that you've got kind of the exact opposite instead of something really regimented and ordered you've got something that almost makes no structural sense and I think the reason that the poet has done that is to show the rambling sort of growing insanity in the mind of Ferrara. Yeah, I mean, I think we need to kind of qualify that slightly because, of course, it's written in blank verse, which yeah. means there's five beats in each line. It's in iambic pentameter. But the way Browning suggests the breakdown in his mind is this blank verse, this iambic pentameter that's perhaps the most common metre in the whole of English language, mm-hmm. is punctuated by caesuras yeah. and enjambements. So whilst it's structured in perhaps quite, you know, a, a common form, mm. um, Browning shows the, the breakdown. And this breakdown, as the poem goes on, becomes more and more clear because if we look to lines 31 onwards we see all of these caesuras that punctuate the poem and this is the moment when he starts to lose control of what he's saying when he admits to his murder so even though he's speaking in iambic pentameter which is very very common and a recognised poetic form his language starts to degenerate and break down which mirrors perhaps the way in which his mind you know it, in 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 the power that he has over his wife, the mm. the, the power has gone to his head. This has driven him to to insanity. Is the suggestion? I think so. And you you get a nice comparison with London because whereas with London you've got the poem mirroring the systems of the city, the systems that keep the people down, that allow the rich to stay rich and the poor to stay poor. You've got all of those systems represented here through the Seishura, through the evolution of his mood as the poem goes on. You instead see a man sort of whose power has gone into complete madness. Yeah. Makes and, no sense. So to come to our conclusion, we always want to come back to our kind of comparative thesis right at the end of the essay for your conclusion. Yeah. We can think about therefore actually both are engaging with the abuse of power, the the the, the pernicious effects of the abuse of power, but you know, the damaging effects. Mm. But at the same time what they're showing us is quite different abuses of power. Very different. One in a domestic space of an individual over his wife. You can even talk about micro and macro yeah, abuses. Uh, one, of power one being that. a structural abuse. Yeah. Whereas one, one being abuse from an individual. But of course the final kind of complication of that is of course that this, the, the, the Duke's abuse of power in the domestic sphere in Minas Touches is of course enabled by the structural um you know, existence of the, pa- of, 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 of the patriarch. The patriarchy. Yeah, absolutely. The kind of system that London would have been a part of as well. So, that's, a, a that's final kind of point of comparison is that, it's, and it's his position as an upper class man, as a nobleman, yeah. as the Duke of Ferrara, yeah. that enables him to get away with this abuse. Fantastic. Go on then, sir. Wrap up the podcast. Well, as as my as my final job as host, thank mm. you for listening. Uh, it's been a blast. Yeah, it's been good. I've enjoyed it. And we'll hopefully see you next time. A blast time. is probably strong, but no, okay, it's, been, it's been it's moderately <laughs> enjoyable. I you know, I don't really enjoy Mr. Guy's company that much, but you no, know, that's it. That's that's fair. That's very fair. See you next time. <laughs>